Welcome to Outspoken, a podcast for social change where we talk about current events and how they relate to interpersonal violence and abuse. Outspoken is a project of the Hayes Caldwell Women's Center located in San Marcos, Texas. If you or someone you know has experienced abuse and is seeking support, services, or needs more information, links to resources can be found in our episode description. The views expressed in this podcast are those of the hosts and guests and do not reflect the views of their organizations or affiliates. Welcome to episode six of Outspoken, a podcast for social change. I'm Hema. I'm Kiara. I'm Megan. And in this episode, we're going to discuss the movie Moxie. This film was released on Netflix in March of 2021. And at HCWC, we recently hosted a watch party for this film for Sexual Assault Awareness Month. We all agreed that there were some great themes to discuss and decided that we should do an episode on it because we don't really see a lot of films with youth discussing things like sexual harassment and gender equality. And it also reminded us of things that we've seen in schools and conversations and just experiences that we had when we were in school. So Kiara is going to start us off by giving us a little background on the film. Yes, so Moxie originally started as a novel written in 2015 by Jennifer Matu, who is a high school English teacher in Houston. So another great reason to talk about Moxie the film, because Moxie the book started uh, locally here in Texas, and the novel was then adapted into a screenplay, and then the film was directed by actress and comedian Amy Poehler. And if you haven't seen the film and you do plan to watch it just right now, we're going to put like a spoiler warning out there. This whole episode is going to be spoilers and filled with spoilers. So if you plan to watch it, go and watch it and then come back and listen to this episode. But if you don't plan to watch it, we're going to still try to give a general idea of what happens in the movie as we go along and we talk about it. And Moxie is a coming-of-age film about a sophomore named Vivian, and it's set in a small town here in Texas. And what we see in the film is that Vivian is fed up with the sexism and the harassment that's happening in her school. And with all of that, she's inspired to start a zine called Moxie. She wants to do something, and the zine is what she does, to call out what's happening in her school. So throughout the film, uh, we see youth activism. It's about feminism and girl empowerment, and it just centers around what it's like to find your voice and speak up about something that's happening that you don't feel is okay. And there are a few main characters uh, throughout the film that we'll talk about, and I'll give a little bit of a background on all of the different characters so you kind of have a place to start from and who they are as we talk about them. And I mentioned a little bit before Vivian, who's the main character. And there's also Claudia, who's Vivian's longtime best friend. And then there's also Lucy, who's a new student who moves to the town. She's new at the school, and she plays a part in Vivian learning about activism and feminism. And there's also Mitchell, who is the popular guy at school. He's the football player, stereotype, entitled, loved by all the school staff. He's not really liked by anybody who's not popular. And then there's also Seth, who's a classmate of Vivian and Claudia and Lucy, everybody else, who supports Moxie, and he also ends up being Vivian's boyfriend later on in the film. So those are the most of the characters we'll be talking about. There's a few other ones that we'll introduce along the way, but those are kind of the five main characters that are play major roles in the film. Cool. So now that we have a background on the film, um, like Kiara mentioned, it does take place and mostly in the high school so we thought we'd 
we take some time to discuss the overall environment of the school. If I had a word to describe like all of it, I'd just say plain toxic. But <laughs> and we see this like right at the beginning of the film where we learn about a list. And this list is kind of like what you would see in a yearbook where they have, you know, best dress and stuff like that. But in this case, it's like super horrible terms. Um, I believe one of them is like best butt, but they did not use the word butt. So um, we, I think we see Vivian and her best friend, Kalia, coming to school and it's like the first day and they're already like, oh my gosh, the list is out. And that's how it first gets introduced. Like Kiara mentioned, we do have a new student who comes into the school and I like thinking of of it as the, like she hasn't been brainwashed so she's not used mm. to the fact that this is normal or quote normal because it is not normal it is harassment and she's like this is not okay i believe during a pep rally that they have for the football team the list gets updated and she is now part of the list even though she's a new student and they go ahead and put her under a horrible category, which she's like, this is not okay. And she immediately stands up and tries to get help. She goes to Principal Shelley, and Principal Shelley, we learned that is just like, uh, it was, she was just like a really annoying character to me. But <laughs> she's, she basically just tells her, like, oh, um, what is this? This looks like it's social media. I don't know what this is. Go back and sit down. Root, let's go ahead and root and congratulate our football team who doesn't win any games. Um, and she tells <sighs> Very her- Very like, relatable. Yes, I was just like, ah! And I think she tells her, um, Lucy, remember, sticks and stones, you know, sticks and stones. It's just words. Mm-hmm. Don't worry about the list. Go back and sit down. And that is one of the first instances that we see where, I guess, harassment is just being dismissed in the school. And during that pep rally- uh, we have a girls' soccer team who also uh, points out that they win all the time and they don't get the support for new uniforms or support from the school at all, even though they're the ones like winning. So they just show like how the football team just has like a really big, important place in the school and the community. They kind of have them up here like in a pedestal and whatever the football team wants, they kind of go ahead and are able to get or whatever they do, they're kind of able to get away with it. Very Texas. <laughs> Very Texas. Yes. Yes. Um, later on, we see, like Kiara mentioned, Mitchell is part of the football team. We see a scene where he's harassing Lucy with words. He just kind of like won't leave her alone. And Vivian, the main character, is kind of like, oh, don't worry. Like, I've known Mitchell forever. He's just being annoying. And like I said, Lucy is not brainwashed to believe this. She's like, no, that's not okay. This is harassment. I'm going to try again. She goes ahead and walks into P- Principal Shelley's office and is like, Mitchell is harassing me. And Principal Shelley's like, mm, nope, hold on. It sounds like he's bothering you. She's like, I don't want you mm-hmm. to use that word harassing because then I have to use... All of other, like, this little flow chart I have to go through and do all of this paperwork. And you know what? It's not that bad. It's not like there's guns in the school, okay? There's mm-hmm. no bullying going on right now. If that were to happen, we kind of got to do a lot of stuff. But it's not. You're just being annoyed. It's okay. And she recommends that she joins the marching band because she saw somewhere on the transcript that she can play an instrument. She's like, here, just join this class, this band. It's going to help you. And that's her way of kind of, like, helping her. I think uh, Kiara mentioned when we were talking about this before, it was like almost a literal like 
blow some hot air was kind of yes, the response. Yeah. Versus, she yeah. says like, oh, it sounds like you just have a lot of feelings. And why don't you mm-hmm. take all of those feelings and why don't you join the marching band and play a flute or piccolo or trumpet or something mm-hmm. like that. And with the expression that just is a bunch of hot air, something that you don't take mm-hmm. seriously, that's what you use to play instruments. So mm-hmm. it's a literal way of, or I guess, a, not literal, but a different way of her saying, it's all just a bunch of hot air and why don't you just channel it all into the marching band instead of me having to do anything about it. Mm-hmm. And and not addressing the person who's doing the harassment, but just right. kind of making it like it's her own personal thing that she needs to work out and get her anger out on an instrument or, you know, rather than address the person who's bothering her. Yeah. And this is not the first time that she's come up to her and be like, hey, mm-hmm. I'm uncomfortable. Can you please help me? And she's like, mm, join the marching band. Like, oh, yeah, I'm being harassed. That's totally what I want to do right now. No, not cool. Yeah. And that was part of, um, and I think you mentioned too, like even Vivian was saying to Lucy, like, oh, that's just Mitchell, just ignore, just annoy, or he's just annoying, just ignore him, which, um, you know, they all grew up together in a this small town together. So she's probably known Mitchell since she was little. And um, because there's no, there's no one really teaching them about these things or, you know, talking about harassment or how we should be treated, like there's no from what we, you know, can see from the environment, there's no relation skill, relationship skills being taught. Um, and so to her, it's just normalized. And uh, there, it's just normal. Like, oh, that's just how he is. And so that was kind of her approach to Lucy. And uh, that, w- and then Lucy was, you know, coming as an a- from an outsider, she was able to say, no, this is not normal. This isn't, you know, I haven't known this guy my whole life. And the way he's acting is not okay. And, uh, and that was, was sort of the wake-up call for Vivian to realize, hey, I've been complicit in this environment and thinking that this is okay when really it's not. And like, you know, what am I doing here? And she went in a, and another part of her uh, Lucy's own story too was trying to discover her passion. Like she was, you know, kind of getting at that phase where she's in the middle of high school and starting to think about the future. And she was trying to really figure out what she was passionate about. And um, you know, she learned from her mom that uh, her mom was a big part of the riot girl scene. Uh, which is a, a feminist punk scene uh, in the 90s. Uh. I think you said Lucy, but I think you meant Vivian. You're talking about Vivian finds her passion, right? Yes. Vivian, yeah, the main character, Vivian. And Lucy's the one who introduced her to like the idea of um, that, the, that that this isn't okay. And Vivian is looking to find like her, like what she's passionate about. She's the main character. And um, yeah, so she basically discovers that her mom is a part of this riot girl scene and she sort of realizes like, oh, my mom was, you know, fighting these type of problems too in the 90s. Like she had, she was fighting against harassment and, you know, fighting for gender equality and it inspired her to want to do the same thing and start a zine. So she creates this zine and it's, uh, you know, it's a, if, if you're not sure what a zine is, it's pretty artistic, but you usually take a lot of different uh, pictures and designs from different magazines or whatever that you cut up and art that you draw and you put it together in a little booklet and it's a way to share ideas amongst each other. And she hides this zine in the girl's bathroom and it's kind of a just to clap back at the environment of the school and what's going on and sort of, you know, you know, basically just saying like, this isn't okay and calling it out. And it's the first time anyone in the school has really called it out. And uh, she does it through this zine. She suggests in the zine that the girls who read the zine and who agree with her draw hearts and stars on their hands, which is sort of a way that they symbolically start uh, a little 
they symbolically start their group, right? They, they're able to see each other and recognize, like, oh, this person is supporting the same things I am. And this person feels the same way I do about the environment of school, kind of looking for like who's going to show support. Yeah, solidarity. Exactly. And when she comes to the school the next day, like after she, you know, sets that zine out, she at first is a little worried, like, because she doesn't see any hearts and stars. But then as soon as she does see some of the girls with hearts and stars, it really, you know, gives her that feeling that like she's not alone and that there are other girls there too that want to have change in the school and want a more supportive environment for the girls in the school. Lucy, it, it enables Lucy to gather and uh, to gather the girls who have the hearts and stars and recognize each other and sort of start the group as an official, like, what are we going to do next? Uh, she starts the hashtag Moxie Girls Fight Back. So they're, they kind of go from calling out the behaviors with the zine to forming a group and deciding that they want to have some action behind their group and that they want to do something to actually change the school, which is where we see the Moxie group form. And it's really kind of taken over by all the girls at that point. Uh, Vivian doesn't come forward right away as the creator of the zine, and she just sort of uh, lets the group take on its form of its own, which I think is pretty great. Uh, Some of the things they do is they protest the dress code at the school. So there's a girl who uh, gets what's called like dress coded for wearing a tank top. And uh, another girl sitting right next to her is wearing basically the same tank top, but she doesn't get in trouble because she doesn't have the same curves as the other girl. Um, So it definitely is a situation that we see many times of, uh, you know, girls' bodies being policed for what they're wearing. We actually, I think there's a headline right now or like in the last week where there was a Florida school that is (laughs) facing backlash because they altered the uh, clothing of girls in the yearbook. I think 80 girls' clothing got altered uh, in the yearbook. And so it's definitely something that we see, and we see it uh, in the schools that we visit as well, uh, girls getting dress coded or or girls in our group, you know, complaining about, about the dress code and how it's unfair. So it's definitely a universal experience. Yeah. I remember feeling it when I was in high school of why is it such a big deal that I'm wearing a tank top or spaghetti straps or whatever it is, especially being here in Texas when it gets obscenely hot during the summer. Mm -hmm. And uh, the biggest thing that I remember now that I'm thinking about it is not even really tank tops. It was shorts. And that was a big deal in our school either. And I went to a number of different schools. So either we couldn't wear shorts Mm -hmm. or they had that rule of it being like uh, the fingertip length or something like it had to be a certain number of inches past your fingertips, which of course we know that if you look at the way that people's bodies are different, that fingertip length is going to look different depending on what your body is built like and how long your legs are and how long your arms are. And mostly it was just up to the discretion of faculty mm-hmm. and staff who look at you and decide that you are violating the dress code which then you get sent to the front office and then they have to make you figure out how you're going to change your clothes probably wear your PE uniform all day or call your parent to come and bring you a change of clothes which interrupts your education because an educator thinks that you are interfering with the education mostly of the boys that are in the school who probably don't care as much as the adults do about the dress code. The shorts were always a problem for me as someone who has what I would consider extra long arms (laughs) (laughs) and an extra long body with short legs, even though I'm a tall person. Um, Yeah, they just didn't make shorts that my fingertips would touch. And so I never could wear shorts to school and I hated it because it was 100 degrees outside in Texas and I had to wear pants because I knew 
if I were Schwartz, I was going to get in trouble no matter what. <laughs> yeah, and then in the movie, I believe in that scene, like, everyone's just, like, paying attention to the teacher going on about the lesson, and then Principal Shelley just storms in. And then now everyone's looking, kind of like, what's going on? Like, no one cared. Everyone was going on around their day, just like, okay, let's listen to this teacher. And then she makes, like, a huge deal out of it. It's like, now you're the one bringing attention to this girl's shoulders. Like, that's it. And it was just shoulders. That's such a good point, too. And I feel like that with that yearbook in Florida that was in the news, too. Like, it almost brought more attention by having – with the really horrible Photoshop job. It was terrible. I saw pictures of yesterday, and it was a very lazy mm-hmm. Photoshop job. Just it's like clipping. paint. Yeah, just <laughs> – yeah, basically like Microsoft Paint taking like a square of the fabric and placing it over somebody's chest, not even really trying to make an effort to make it look like that's what that person wore to school that day. Mm-hmm. And I believe some of the girls mentioned that they had previously worn those garments before and no one mm-hmm. had said anything. They had worn those outfits before. No one had said anything until, I don't know if it was a yearbook teacher who was just like, oh, this is not okay. Mm-hmm. Shoulders. Oh my gosh, No. And I I was reading a little bit more into it, and I believe one of the girls, um, I think it was her mom, was kind of saying that since it was so badly photoshopped, it actually ended up creating like horrible, like a horrible experience for the girls because they were using them as memes now online oh, no. on Snapchat. So yeah, mm. that backfired. It was really bad. That's awful. Yeah, and yeah. I what you had just said, I thought about that too. With they came to school. And people saw them and they were able to sit down for these photos and photographers took their picture. There were so many people who could have intervened if they thought that what they were wearing wasn't okay before their picture even got taken. So it really wasn't an issue. It sounds like mm-hmm. it, like you said, it could have been like the the yearbook staff or whoever it is that got the final pictures who decided that it wasn't okay. And it's usually just girls because they also mentioned that like following like the next page on the yearbook, it was like the boys swim team in Speedos and no one said anything about them because it's okay. Like it's normal. It's swimming. But nope, like you can't Mm. go wear like a nice tank top because it's super hot outside. That's not okay. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's the same with volleyball uniforms, cheerleading uniforms. They usually also don't fall into dress code. But if the school... Uh, has you purchased the uniform then it seems like it's okay but if it's something that you purchased on your own that makes you feel comfortable then obviously then it's not okay at some point yeah it's the it's the mindset though that's all wrong really because at the end of the day if we're dress coding girls for what they're wearing we're telling them innately there's something wrong with their body or that they need to cover up because it's their responsibility to to you know control other people's thoughts i mean it's we're just it's a it's another like we're putting all the blame on the person or or on the on the girl or on the woman you know um because of how she looks versus it just feeds into the what we already see happen in rape culture which we you know talked about extensively in episode four but it just feeds into that idea that we're that people aren't responsible for how they treat you it's up to the woman to cover her body and and we and we know from what we do that that's not going to protect you from experiencing sexual harassment and abuse, unfortunately. So it's just a backwards way of thinking that the school and, uh, and unfortunately, <laughs> other schools tend to still fall into that mindset that we are trying to get away from. 
But there were some good, too, uh, that came out of the uh, group. So they they protested the dress code. They also, because they started supporting each other, they actually got behind one of the female athletes and nominated her for an athletic scholarship. So it was one of those situations where Mitchell, who uh, Kiara mentioned earlier as the head football player, he was sort of a shoe in and everyone just sort of assumed he was going to get the, the athletic scholarship, even though his team, he didn't really win any games. It didn't sound like he was actually you know, a superstar athlete. Right. Um, whereas the girls, I think it was soccer team, yeah, had won all their games. And so they decided that they wanted to nominate, I think it was Kiera for the athletic scholarship. And it was an idea that they, you know, it they once they all started supporting each other, they were able to come together and be like, oh, let's let's get behind this person who um, you know, ha- deserves this opportunity and they all supported her and nominated her together which actually kind of broke the past patterns of it always being like the male football player who would always get the athletic scholarship so that was kind of cool yeah and it just kind of reminds me too of like what we talked about in episode five when we have environments where we're supporting each other it creates a safer place for people to come out and disclose so what actually ends up happening too in this um in this group where they're supporting one another is a one of the female students comes out as anonymously at first to Moxie that she has been sexually assaulted. And later in the movie, she comes out publicly. But it was just, to me, uh, an example that I've seen in my personal life and professional life that when we do create environments that are supportive, we're more likely to have people who feel comfortable finally to disclose the abuse they've experienced. Right. And that supportive, creating a supportive environment doesn't just look like having a place for people to come and report of violence or abuse that they've experienced. It's also creating an environment that promotes equality and it celebrates people being who they are and them being comfortable mm-hmm. in who they are. And we see that in the movie with sort of, it's a great way to sort of see the dominoes like sort of line up where you've got challenging the list and protesting the dress code and mm-hmm. nominating somebody for the athletic scholarship. All of these things are actions that contribute to that supportive environment, which is something that we do talk about a lot in social change is how all of the different actions that you take change the norms and the culture of the environment. And this is a very good example of that. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, we're going to take this moment to have our self-compassion break and we will be back in a minute here and Kiara is going to talk about some takeaways from the film. This episode's self-compassion tip is on empowering youth to practice self-compassion. It's important to recognize that life is full of highs and lows and being mindful of how you feel gives you an opportunity to deal with your emotions. Encourage youth to challenge catastrophic thinking by teaching them to interrupt it with a kindness meditation. More so than self-esteem, self-compassion builds resiliency in youth and equips them to handle life's challenges. Let go of expectations of perfection and instead remember to pause and be kind to yourself. Now back to the episode. All right, so we're back. And as Megan mentioned before, we took the self-compassion break. We're going to spend the second half of the episode talking about some of the takeaways from the film. Starting with uh, one of the biggest takeaways that we got from the film was that the idea that getting involved in activism uh, isn't going to look the same for everybody and it doesn't have to look the same for Mm -hmm. everybody. 
Uh, as Megan mentioned earlier in the episode, Vivian's inspired to start the Moxie zine because she learned about her mom's involvement in the Riot Girl movement in the 90s, which was a feminist punk m- movement that was started to uplift women and call out sexism and harassment that was happening in their mm-hmm. music scene. So a great parallel there. But something that people criticized the Riot Girl movement for was that they weren't inclusive enough and that they didn't consider the experiences specifically of women of color and trans women and their feminism. It was a movement that was started in around like the Washington state area. And people sometimes saw it as like a movement for middle class white women. Um, mm-hmm. Or if they did have any sort of LGBT clue inclusion, it was usually like somebody who was like lesbian, but they didn't include a lot of other identities within that. So people Mm -hmm. were calling for this movement to be more inclusive and consider the experiences of other women that may not be the same as them. And that's something that is highlighted a little bit in the film from Vivian's mom, who participated Mm -hmm. in the Riot Girl movement. And we see this happening in the film with Claudia, who I mentioned is Vivian's longtime best friend who's not white. I believe she's Asian. From what I could tell, they don't explicitly say in the film. But it highlights that there's privilege in being able to speak out, specifically looking at protesting their dress code. Claudia comes from a more traditional family, a family that were she we see her a little bit hesitant to get involved with the dress code at first with writing the stars and hearts on their hands claudia is like i don't understand how that's going to make a difference how that's going to get people involved in activism as the activism progresses claudia wants to get involved and she even buys a tank top and is placing it out on her bed and you can see that she's nervous to get involved and she decides to do it anyway and she's trying to walk out of her front door and she gets stopped by her mom on the way out the front door so that's already Mm -hmm. a barrier is that she wants to get involved but her home environment and her family environment is not going to support her in getting involved because of the own values that um, exist within her home um, and that there are also can be different consequences. And we see that also again with Claudia is that uh, a lot of the female students are finding their voice and they're finding their way to get involved. They're protesting their dress code, which there could be consequences for protesting the dress code. They're speaking mm-hmm. out in other ways. And at some point, uh, Claudia takes the fall for Moxie, who isn't registered as a school organization. Um, and Claudia wants to protect her friends. So she uh, either she signs them up for, as a school club to get them legitimized within the school mm-hmm. structure. And then at some point, Moxie does get in trouble as an organization and Claudia takes the fall and she ends up getting suspended for it. And mm-hmm. something that they don't really understand that and by they, I mean the other members of Moxie that comes up at some point in the film is Vivian's talking to Claudia and like, why don't you want to get involved? Why don't you care about this as much as we do? And Claudia is saying, you don't understand what it's like for me, that this is a big risk for me to take the fall for this group because she does get suspended. And by getting suspended, uh, it puts her scholar, like potential future scholarships in jeopardy. And Mm -hmm. this is something that Vivian doesn't really have to consider. And that may be something, a parallel that we see in activism in general is that there's risk in speaking out and sometimes the risks are greater for people depending on what your Mm -hmm. identity is that specifically with Vivian if she gets suspended it can jeopardize as I mentioned her 
ability to get scholarships in the future. And maybe that scholarship was her only opportunity to be able to go to college in the future. Whereas maybe Vivian comes from a family, even though it's a single parent family, and that we don't fully know what Vivian's experience could be with money, especially with class. But is a potential that Vivian may not have to worry about scholarships being in jeopardy. Maybe her mom has money to send her to college or whatever it is that there's risk in being able to speak out. And we see these conversations happening with the fourth wave of feminism. So the third wave being in the 90s with the rag girl mm-hmm. movement, other things that are happening in the 90s in terms of feminism. Uh, now people are talking about the importance of being intersectional and considering the different identities that people have and how it can impact them and speaking out and also what their concerns are uh, specifically thinking about when people fight for the wage inequality gap with uh, women and men. Uh, it's not always considered that uh, that when women make less than men, that women of color make less than white women and that LGBTQ mm-hmm. women make less money than cisgender and heterosexual women, that there's a little bit more to consider when you're trying to drive progress forward, that some people need more consideration um, when they're driving mm-hmm. that progress forward in the fight for equality. So it's important to just one of the takeaways is to remember that is anybody being left out in that activism? And if you think that somebody isn't taking a big role like you would want them to, maybe you think that they don't care in the ways that you do, consider that maybe there may be other things that are holding them back from getting involved in the same ways that you are. That was one of the things I really liked that Claudia said in the movie after she registered the group and they were all kind of surprised, you know, like, um, which, I mean, she did them a huge favor. She made their group official, like an official school club. And uh, she came and she said, you need to let me do things my own way or something to that effect. And I think that that's really important, too, when we're looking at um, different types of activism and how it looks differently for different people. And, you know, just be more accepting of that fact that it's going to look different for different people depending on their background and ability. And and that's okay. We need – there's a place for everybody (laughs) on the road to social change. (laughs) So, Which, speaking of, it makes me want to talk a little bit about how we can – uh, how schools can create supportive environments because, uh, you know, we've spent the first half of this episode talking about the pretty toxic environment that their school was and how a lot of that was led by the leadership, right? I mean, Principal Shelley, you know, not really wanting to take harassment seriously and, you know, the normalization in general of the harassment and people just kind of being like, oh, it's just annoying and it's a part of life and we just have to accept it, which you know, the first step, and it's part of our mission too as an agency is to create environments where the, where abuse is not tolerated. Um, so that's something that, you know, was causing the environment to be normalized. We were in this movie, they were tolerating the violence and looking at it as, or tolerating the harassment and just looking at it as annoying, but not truly as hurtful as it actually was. I mean, the list of, of objectifying the girls in the school to the, um, the you know sexual assault that comes out later. Um, there's just a lot of things going on in the school that kind of lead to not being a safe place for all for all students. Uh, so things that I've noticed in my experience professionally and in my research is that schools tend to be pretty tuned into bullying. They 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 like to focus on bullying a lot, um, and that's oftentimes the topic that will be discussed when they're talking about relationships. And there's tends to be more. Um, not as much conversation about sexual harassment and and, uh, dating violence and things like that that I would like to see in middle schools and high schools, I think. And I think it is, 
I'm not sure. I don't want to guess, I guess, on the reason, but it's important just to remember that uh, to end a problem, it's we have to first believe that it exists. So that was a big part that we saw in Moxie was uh, Principal Shelley's unwillingness to even admit that there was a problem. So the first thing that we have to do in schools and in our community is recognize that sexual harassment does exist and it is a problem. Uh, recognize that dating violence does exist and it is a problem. So that's, uh, and, and, and that it's a preventable problem is the second part of that, right? So that, and if we recognize that it's a problem that we can prevent, then we can start teaching skills and putting that effort uh, into preventing the problem. If we're, you know, if we're afraid to acknowledge it, then we're just ignoring it. And we're like basically setting the precedent that it's okay. So, which I think is what happened in the school, right? They just got normalized because it was ignored. It's uh, not necessarily nefarious. It's just what happens when we don't admit that there's a problem and we choose to like sweep it under the rug. Also ends up hurting a lot of people. Um, But teaching things like relationship skills, teaching things like consent and starting it as young as humanly possible, uh, preschool, kindergarten, um, these con- if these concepts are normalized at a very young age, when we start bringing in sexual consent into that conversation, it'll be a very easy concept to, to, to get. You know, we can empower people also to be a part of the solution. So another aspect is uh, teaching people how to intervene as bystanders. Something that I've heard over and over again and uh, when I've been teaching other other students and especially boys and just uh, men that I've known in my life is oftentimes we're in situations and we know it's not right or we see a situation and we know it's not right or we feel it's not right but the problem is is we don't know what to say and we don't know how to act or we don't know how to intervene Um, so there can be a lot of benefits in teaching people what to say and do when they do see something going down that is not okay because it's not necessarily that we don't know it's not okay sometimes sometimes it's that we don't know what to do Um, so it's just another skill that we could be teaching that would prevent these things from happening in the first place and at least and prevent the environment from becoming taller prevent the environment from tolerating these things at, at the very least because there's people saying hey that's not cool right something that we had when we were planning for this episode and talking about um, like what schools can do to create an, a supportive environment, something that Hema said that stuck out to me was the sometimes it doesn't, there's like this feeling that comes with being the person that witnessed abuse or harassment, especially as like an educator or somebody who's mandated to report something and going mm-hmm. and reporting it to your leadership who you worry may or may not take it seriously that you yeah. also have to say like, Hey, this is, it almost feels not only a shame with it happening to you, but there's a shame that comes with acknowledging, like, I saw this happening in our school environment and in our community. And now you have to tell somebody that you saw it. And if it doesn't have that normalization where everybody talks about it, like bullying, then it feels Mm -hmm. because abuse thrives in silence. It feels like you're trying to step out of that silence, which can be very uncomfortable for a lot of people. And then you're having a... I guess for lack of a better term, force the people around you to acknowledge that something like that is happening in their environment. And that then that means that they have to do something about it. And it ties back to Principal Shelley. If, if you use that word, then we're going to have to do some paperwork. And there's a whole process that we have to follow through if you use the word harassment. So are you sure mm-hmm. exactly what that means? And I think sometimes we see schools doing that. And this is just speculation on my part of 
doing an investigation beforehand, something that we tell schools and is sort of normalized is um, schools aren't responsible for doing investigations on their own part unless it's built within a system like Title IX or something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, As mandated reporters, it's just our responsibility to report it. But I think Mm -hmm. sometimes schools maybe want to do that investigation because they want to believe that if you're reporting something, I have to know that it happened too. And I have to believe you that it happened here. So I'm going to investigate this on my own part too, because I don't want to have to go through that process, especially if it's something like a a university or some other environment that potentially the media can get involved and they can find out about it. And then, Mm -hmm. or if it's something that happened on campus, maybe it's something that's required that they have to send a letter home to parents about. And then there's a level of shame that comes with now I have to tell parents and guardians that something like this happened on campus, even though I think a lot of people do know that it happens on campus, but putting it on paper and going through the process makes it really real. And I think it's a a human quality for some people to not want to do that because of the fear that comes with that or the hesitancy that comes with that. But just because we're afraid or we're nervous to speak up about something doesn't mean that it's not important to speak up about it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And it makes a good point too, that the leadership of the school is very, I mean, it's probably the most important piece, right? Because um, you can have really great intentions and great ideas as far as like, or, or even know exactly how to deal with harassment when you see it. But if your leadership is not ready to deal with it or they're not sure how to deal with it or they don't have, you know, or they're not even willing to admit that it's a problem, that's going to set the tone for the whole school too. So leadership is definitely important. And it's also important to recognize like, you know, school boards and things like that are elected by the community. So the leadership goes all the way up and, you know, the, the school is a reflection of the community that it's in, right? So we're voting for the school board. You know, these schools don't exist. Schools don't exist in a vacuum. Uh, they're a reflection of the community, you know, from the ground up. We're not coming to the school. Uh, we're not, you know, out in the community one way and then coming to the school another way. It's the same people. So it's really... Uh, you know, it's a community level uh, effort of trying to recognize this as a problem and prevent it. Right. And see it as just as big as a problem as bullying or some of the mm-hmm. other violence, specifically like gun violence that we try to mm-hmm. prevent in schools and not seeing it as something that's just a childhood rite of passage is that. And I know some people do see bullying as that way, too, uh, mm-hmm. but not just saying as, well, this is just what's happening or the saying that we hear is boys will be boys and this is just how they are. Um, and even with talking to the young men um, and boys and a little bit in the programming that we do, they will say, we don't like this. We're not like this. We don't believe mm-hmm. this. Um, and it's not OK for somebody to act like this. But then there's also like this social pressure that comes with having like a Mitchell in the school that has a big Mm -hmm. influence of if you stand up and you say something, then you're going to get bullied or you're going to get harassed. And that's also a real fear of why people don't get involved is they don't want it to turn back on them. Um, But Mm -hmm. yeah, I guess circling back to the point of another important thing for schools is to a part of believing that it's a problem is not seeing it as just a rite of passage into becoming Mm -hmm. an adult because it's not. Nobody should have to experience harassment and abuse to build themselves up as a stronger person. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that brings up the question of like, how can we support youth in like situations like this or with things that they're passionate about? I remember I, I, 
I think it's still a thing. I remember being in high school and what was it like four years ago, which I think is not a long time. And I identified myself with the movie, like a lot of the things that I saw there at times it was just like, oh, that I saw that happening and no one said anything. Why didn't anyone say anything? And I'm just like, oh my gosh, like that's so true. And it's not until you're like out of that environment that you're like, oh, wow, like maybe there was things that could have been done and why didn't no one say Mm -hmm. anything? Why didn't I say anything? Things like that. So a way that we can help support youth is just giving them access to this information. This, this information is readily available for anyone, any adult, you know, any adults like, Hey, ask about something. They'll probably get an answer. But with youth, with youth, sometimes they'll get comments kind of like, you're not old enough to talk about this. And it's like, well, sexual mm-hmm. assault isn't going to wait until they're old enough. So right. it we kind of have to talk about it. It might be uncomfortable, but, you know, we got to normalize things like this so we can help prevent it. Or they'll get other comments kind of like, um, you can make decisions for yourself when you're an adult, but things are happening now. And, you know, we're always saying the youth is the future, but the future is now. So teach mm-hmm. them how they can make decisions for themselves. You know, you should be out there empowering them when they come up to you and maybe disclose a situation or harassment or anything. They just come and tell you something. Believe them. Don't question mm-hmm. and be like, are you sure that happened? No, that's not. No, don't do that. Just believe them. Be there for them. They want If they're reaching out, it, just think about how much courage it took um, for them to be able to do that. We were talking about how scary it can be to report something as an adult. And so just imagine that amount of pressure in like youth, maybe a 13-year-old, an 18-year-old. Um, it can be super scary and confusing. So if they're coming up to you, just go ahead and believe them. Uh, be there. Be listening ear. And then another thing that we can do is just, just I guess, have open space where they can come up and you know talk to you about what it is that they're passionate about young people have like awesome opinions and awesome ideas but adults hardly ever ask for them so you know if you just give them a place for them to voice their concerns or voice some great ideas that they have that can go a really long way Um, Another thing you can do is encourage other adults to respect young people and make space for them to speak. Like Megan was saying, our schools are kind of representative of our community. So you know what, if you're holding this, I guess, meeting, have a space for youth where they can voice their thoughts. You know, Mm -hmm. it's their school. They're the ones that spend most of the day in it. What is something that they see that we we could help change? Mm Mm-hmm. In the movie, we saw how Vivian's mom, it was Amy Poehler's character, um, she shared her experience um, with Vivian and what she went through. She had like this whole suitcase full of like awesome pictures and zines and all that stuff um, that Vivian got a hold of. And it was really, it was really awesome to see Vivian mm-hmm. see like, whoa, like where has this been my whole life? I wish she would have like mentioned it sooner or something. Like it was really cute to see. I also really liked how she talked about, like, the mistakes she felt she made. Like, she felt – like, she talked about the movement, but then she also was like, these are the mistakes I felt like we had made as in the movement. And I think that's another important part of having, you know, open, honest relationships with youth, too, is uh, letting them see you fail and letting them see you make mistakes and being open and honest about it so that they know that it's a part of life and that when they also fail, that they can give themselves that compassion um, that you're, you know, that you're also – showing yourself while you're telling them about the experience. Um, Because I think sometimes we get caught up in like wanting to be, present ourselves as these, you know, infallible people to youth um, to get them to listen to us. But really, I think admitting when we've made mistakes and being more human 
is, uh, you know, that's going to get more respect and help them as far as, you know, when they make mistakes as well and, and learn and grow as well. Which I think also brings up another great takeaway from the film um, is the importance of men supporting mm-hmm. vi- like movements to end violence against women um, and anti-violence movements in general. I mentioned at the beginning of the film, Seth, who is uh, a male student who supports Moxie along the way. Um, he writes the hearts and stars on his hands. He even offers to put the zines in the men's, like the men's bathroom because mm-hmm. he's like, well, boys should be getting this information too. He is somebody who the film is seen as like an, an ally specifically to the women and girls in the film and preventing the harassment and abuse that's happening um, to them within their school environment. And it highlights a really important part of that Men and boys uh, play a really important part in challenging the behaviors of other men and boys, um, that they can challenge unhealthy masculinity or unhealthy attitudes and behaviors about what it means to be a man. We know that the reality is that men and boys do experience violence and abuse as well. So it's not to say that men are only solely serving Mm -hmm. as a role as an ally that it's very important to talk about the violence and abuse that happens to men and boys as well. But when men step in as allies, something that we know is that um, violence and abuse across the board is um, primarily perpetrated by men and that there are a lot of gendered expectations around that, about not showing their feelings or aggression being one of the things that's uh, acceptable for them or to go after what you want and pursue sexual relationships with them and in girls, whether they want it or not. And that's what makes you a man, that if you have men and boys challenging that idea, or especially if you're somebody like Mitchell, who has a lot of influence in the school, instead of using Mm -hmm. it to sort of get whatever you want that serves you, he can make a really big difference um, in getting other boys in the school involved in supporting Moxie. That's something that he could have done within the film. So uh, the something, another comparison within the film to Seth is there's a male teacher. He's the English teacher, and I don't remember his name. But at first, he's afraid to speak up. He even says something of mm-hmm. like, this is a women's issue. I don't want to get involved. And he's trying to find his way to get... Uh, to support the movement while also not wanting to take on the responsibility that comes with doing something wrong. Maybe um, there's even this point in the film where he's talking about the, I think the protest that's happening and a student pulls out a phone and is recording him and you see the fear Mm -hmm. in his eyes of not wanting to say or do the wrong thing, which I think is also very relatable um, within cancel culture. If you don't want somebody to show you doing something where maybe you could mess up or other people could criticize you for it. Um, But later on the film, towards the end, um, as the students, they plan a protest at the end of the film to uh, address the sexual assault um, that was reported to them that they want other people to know about it. And they plan to walk out and the student or not, excuse me, the teacher is required to read a statement out loud to the students that basically says that if you walk out and you participate in this protest, there are very real consequences that can happen. And we just want to make you aware of that. And the teacher, as he's reading this statement throughout the film, he just seems is like this very neutral stance. Um, He says, like, I if you I'm telling you this and I will wipe my hands of this and that'll be it. And he literally wipes his hands and he holds his hands up and he has the hearts and the stars written on his hands. And that's his way of showing support for whatever is happening. Um, And it lets Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. the girls 
And young women in the school know that they're supported and what's happening to them is not okay. But it also lets the boys and the other men in the school know that it's important to support Mm -hmm. whatever, like, speaking out against this violence and abuse. So as we spoke a lot about Mitchell as a character who... Um, is furthering this abuse and is actually perpetrating abuse against the girls in the school. Uh, In comparison, we have Seth and we have the male teacher who actively Mm -hmm. get involved and it makes a big difference. Um, So yeah, another great takeaway from the film is that even if we're talking specifically about violence against women, that it shouldn't just be a women's issue, Mm -hmm. um, that it's an issue for everybody because we know that everybody um, can be impacted by violence and abuse and it's going to take all of us to end it and change those norms in our community. So one of the last things to leave everybody with um, that Megan and Hemap already mentioned before was that schools reflect the community that they're in um, Mm -hmm. and that we all play a role in creating a community that either chooses to ignore violence or to not tolerate it. Um, And then we all play an important role in that. So to wrap up, one of the things that we always end with is our prevention and action tip. And our prevention action tip for this episode is to support youth-led movements, uh, which Hema already talked a lot about and gave a lot of great examples of the ways that adults can support youth in their movements. Um, mm-hmm. And something that she highlighted was that sometimes youth voices are minimized, excuse me, minimized by adults and they aren't valued in the same way that we value the voices and the opinions of adults. And that youth don't have to be viewed as future leaders. They say that youth are the future. The future is now. Um, They're also our present leaders, just like adults are. And it's important that youth have a hand in creating their own futures. Um, That if they are going to be having decisions made for them, that they should be a part of that process because it's going Mm -hmm. to impact them. Um, And they're living in the same world that we are at the same time that we are. And they should be able to speak up about what's important. We can learn a lot from them. I know that with the youth that we work with, I learn a lot from them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it's kind of like with Lucy coming into the school and like the small town having like, this is just the way that it's always been. Um, and this is the way that it's always going to be. Maybe you feel a little bit jaded of like, maybe it's not that bad or we can't change anything. And Lucy came in as an outside person. I feel mm-hmm. like youth are like that a lot too, that adults yes. sort of have taken the, either they fought at against things when they were younger and then they got older and then they're like, well, this is just the way that it is going to be. We Mm -hmm. fought for change and we saw a little bit of change, but, or maybe we didn't see change. So it's not possible to have change and youth come in with their new perspective um, and their own concerns about what the realities are for their own generation. um, And they have new ideas and new solutions for how to fix things. So we should take cues from them too, because we do learn a lot from them. Mm Mm-hmm. So with that, we will wrap up the episode here. If you've made it to the end of the episode and you still haven't seen Moxie, we definitely encourage you to go and watch Moxie. Um, Mm -hmm. So with that, speak up, speak out, and be outspoken. 